Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. I'm so excited to be here today with Patricia Rucker, who is a state senator in West Virginia. Patricia, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. So you have a pretty incredible story. Just reading over your bio and hearing about kind of your family's move from Venezuela to the United States. And now fast forward however many years later, you're, uh, you've, you've become a citizen. And not only that, but you've become an elected state senator. So tell us, uh, tell us about that journey. Um, I'll be happy to because, I mean, I honestly feel I am living the American dream, the, the incredible opportunities that America offers that um, is one of the things that I want to fight to protect. So my father is, was an international correspondent, and I say was only because he's retired, he's still living, but <clears throat> he was stationed in Washington, D.C., and it was supposed to be just four years, and we came with him. And then he was supposed to be stationed somewhere else. But as it turned out, they extended his stay. And then they extended his stay again. And we became teenagers. And when he finally got an assignment uh, to go to, like, France, we told him, well, Dad, you can go, but we'll stay. <laughs> we were teenagers. We didn't want to start over yeah. again. Um, never really considered becoming American citizens because we loved Venezuela. We would go there every other summer and spend the summer there. And... Um, Although I love America too, Venezuela was like a paradise. I mean, it was a country that I consider freer than the United States and never taxed income. Really? It never had any of these restrictions and regulations over businesses. So entrepreneurs just flourished. The free market flourished in Venezuela. Um, and you had, you know, my family was poor, but everyone had a place okay. to live. Yeah food, things they needed, and the harder you worked, the more you had, you know, it's, it's very basic. So it wasn't until I met my husband when I was 17 years old, and I fell in love, and I kind of knew, yeah, I'm going to marry him, that I, I started thinking about becoming an American. And so I applied uh, to be a resident, and then became a citizen in 2004. So you were 17? Did you say I, 17? Well, when I met him, not okay. when I married him. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I, he had to wait until I graduated from college. There you go. There you go. I'm sure your dad was pleased with that decision. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I love, uh, I feel like I already have a connection with you because my mom was also born in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, outside in a remote jungle. My grandfather was uh, working at a gold mine. Um, so she was, oh, yeah. she was born 100 miles and no man's land down there uh, and only moved back to the states uh, when she was about four or five because she wasn't speaking any English because they weren't they didn't they weren't they weren't around any English speakers exactly. down there so um, so that that's my limited exposure to the country but of course we know I, I think of it today as a place where it's it's not a good place to be. No, it isn't. I have not been back there since 2001 um, because it's been dangerous, and I'm not going to risk my family, you know, getting hurt. But it's terrible. Um, so people believe that it can never happen here. Well, let me tell you, Chavez 
essentially promised the Venezuelan people that he was going to end the corruption and um, make everything fair and essentially take from the rich because they had too much mm -hmm. and give it to those who are poor and he was going to equalize everything. And we can see the results of that promise now because Chavez did what he said he was going to do. Essentially, he destroyed the rich, um, took away any incentive for them to ever work hard or mm -hmm. to make money, chased them out of the country. Most of the producers in Venezuela have run away. They're all over the world now, a lot of them here in America, but all over South America, Central America, Europe, mm -hmm. and Venezuela is now full of no jobs, people who have no future. Um, Chavez, of course, went after religion, so um, he took away the right of pr private um, Catholic schools, religious schools, so they, they've lost their faith to a large extent. They've lost their education because those private schools were the ones that were really educating people. Um, they have no freedom. They are literally shot down, shut down by the government. I mean, the government has shot people with tanks before who are protesting on the streets. And so he has scared everyone into ever, you know, saying anything. And the rest of the world does not want to interfere because supposedly this man was elected um, and the current president is Maduro because um, Chavez died. But he wasn't really elected. The people in Venezuela have been too scared to vote for the last two elections, and essentially it's puppets. Um, Maduro can only maintain his power by having the Cubans protect him. He doesn't have any Venezuelans in the military, so the people who have arms are Cubans. So do you think the Cubans care about the Venezuelans being hurt? Nope. No. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a pretty terrible situation, and I pray for my family that is still down there. I, most of my family still lives. Oh really? Yeah. So you haven't, you just haven't been able to see them. Have not been able to see them. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's interesting to hear the transformation in your mind from what it was to what it has become, uh, because I don't, I I didn't have the perspective of really thinking of Venezuela as a place where economic freedom and prosperity prosperity were really yes, thriving it was um, so that's uh, how, how how devastating I'm so sorry um, that you can't go back so so how so how did you find yourself okay so you became an American citizen um, <laughs> you got married you then what so um, I was very busy with children um, I, I got married in 1996 and I okay. had my first in 1998 and every two years thereafter so I had five children oh. and um, busy raising them taking care of them at one point in there we did move into West Virginia because I grew up in Montgomery County Maryland which is a suburb of DC and um, just considered that my vocation mm -hmm. in life. I ended up homeschooling my children. I had two children with special needs and the public school system in West Virginia wasn't able to provide what I felt they needed. So I never thought I was going to homeschool, but there it goes. Yeah. Um, and around um, 2008, you know, I just started to notice the deterioration of what I considered the principles of American democracy. Um, I didn't like the direction that the country was heading in, it kind of started, I, I had, can tell you, I was absolutely furious when um, George Bush, and I know he's a Texan, but he when, is, he, that's true, that's when true. he did the bailouts, I was, mm. I just thought, I mean, that is absolutely unacceptable. That right. is not the role of government, and you let people fail. I mean, the whole point of opportunity is that you have the ability to succeed beyond your wildest imaginations. But that means you also 
have mm-hmm. to have the right to fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, I, I just remember that that's kind of what sparked my, oh no, this is not a good direction to be going. Okay. And then, of course, um, the Tea Party movement began early, soon after that, February, I believe, of 2008. Okay. I think, if I'm getting it right. And sometime around then, I decided to join and actually started a tea party locally so that I wouldn't have to go you know far and I um, became the first president of the tea party and my tea party focused on local local elections we wanted to that. find good candidates and support them and turn things around locally so when I first started the tea party in Jefferson County West Virginia we had mostly Democrats you know, running, and there wasn't even Republicans in all of the ballot places. Mm, I remember how disappointed I had fought to the right to vote in America, and my ballot, like, was blank. I didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice, yeah. So just wanted to fill that in with some options, and very soon after the Tea Party started, we started winning elections, and by 2012, Republicans were the majority representing Jefferson County, West Virginia, so that was really... Um, just awesome. I never thought about running myself. My, I, I thought I was doing a good job finding good candidates and right. helping them get elected. I helped our current Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. I helped our current Congressman Alex Mooney. And then, of course, lots of local people run for local delegate um, positions. Though my own delegate, though, nobody wanted to run against because he, they, they felt he was unbeatable. And at the day before the deadline in 2014 to file to run for office, my friend Patrick Morrissey called me and essentially su- suggested that I put my name in there just to give people a choice. He knew that was my weakness because ah, I really yeah, didn't he got like you. not having a choice. So I did put my name in and I did campaign. I mean, I'm, if I'm going to have my name, I'm going to at least try. So I campaigned really hard even though nobody supported me. They thought I didn't have a chance. And the state um, political powers that be were shocked. I lost by 110 votes. No Republican had gotten that close until uh, my race. So they were all kicking themselves. Oh, my goodness, if we had just given her a little bit of help. But I felt like I had done my part. Right. Well, as it turned out, that year the Republicans took control of the West Virginia legislature for the first time in 84 years. Wow. This huge. And several of my friends who had been elected invited me to go down to Charleston for the change of power. And when I went down to Charleston, um, I was given a tour. And when I walked into the Senate chamber, I literally heard a voice in my head that said, you will be sitting here. And that was the first time I thought about running for Senate. And I'm just like, that's crazy. I can't even win a House seat. Like, a Senate seat is uh, ten times harder. Um, but I couldn't forget that voice in my head, and it was nagging me. And I prayed about it, and I decided to run. And... Um, just like before, I campaigned. I went door to door. So I was homeschooling my children from 8 o'clock in the morning, and we were finishing around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I would change, get into my campaign gear, which is a polo shirt and jeans, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I would go door knocking. And I did that Monday through Saturday uh, for essentially a year and a half. Oh my gosh. And um, in 2016, I won election to the West Virginia State Senate. Ah, what a story. It's I mean, really, really, truly amazing. Um, so so you were not only 
you were a, a you weren't just a stay at home mom. You were a stay at home mom who was homeschooling two kids, which is a pretty big commitment. Five kids. Well, oh, all five of them. I all thought I had heard of all five. Two of them, them had special needs, uh, but okay. I just went ahead and homeschooled all. Five. Might as well do. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna do it, you might as well invite them all, right? <laughs> um, well, that is homeschooling five children is certainly a feat in and of itself. Um, I would say being a stay at home mom is a feat in and of itself. Uh, so to do all of that and to just be active and engaged in politics to begin with, to form your own. I mean, that was a volunteer position, right? You said, I'm seeing things that I don't like go on. I see the the decisions being made that are taking us closer and closer to what Venezuela has become. Um, And I feel an obligation to step up and to do something about it. So you started your own Tea Party organization. Must have been, you must have tapped into some kind of frustration from people in the area, people, right? Yes. Because of you, because other people joined you. Exactly. You the weren't first, alone. The first rally, we had about 200 people show up on wow. a rainy, miserably cold day. And um, the group that, that continued meeting after that was around 50. Um, and it hasn't stayed 50. Sometimes it ebbs and flows. But the, that Tea Party is actually still surviving. Um, I stepped away from it to run for office, but um, it's still one of the only Tea Parties that's continuing to meet monthly. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that, that's great. They, and I heard two things in your story that have kind of shown themselves as common commonalities between uh, uh, amongst women who end up running for office. Um, number one, there was some kind of event that made you mad that really sparked your interest and really made you get off the sideline and say, I have got to do something about it. And for you, it sounds like it was the bailouts. Um, the, the other thing is that somebody else talked you into it. It wasn't something that you thought about yourself. It, was, it took somebody else calling and saying, have you ever thought about this? You need to do this. Um, and I just think that it's interesting, those two things in particular, Compared to a lot of men who run for office, sometimes it's something that they've always wanted to do or, um, you know, there's an open seat and it occurs to them they, that they might be a good candidate. Uh, but, it, but women in particular tend to be sparked by something that makes them mad, uh, which, is, which is good and bad because I'm glad that something is sparking them, right, and, and that they do decide to do something about it. Um, but, but I wish that it didn't, it didn't take that. Um, so you, it sounds like you went up, where, did you go up against your own party or that you were just kind of exceeded expectations? You said um, that they, they were shocked, basically, that, that you had come so close the first time when you ran for exactly. the delegate. Because of the Democrat um, incumbent just being very powerful, very well known, having plenty of money and in a very liberal district. So that's the reason for why they were shocked. It's not like they didn't think I couldn't do it. Right. But I was an unknown. Right. I, I mean, here's this first generation immigrant, right. a transplant, which in West Virginia, that means something. West Virginia doesn't, um, it usually likes its legislators and elected officials to be born in West Virginia, raised in yes. West Virginia. Yes. Um, so I really defied all the all the things that they consider important. And um, in addition to all of that, I didn't have money. And you know, that's one of the things I actually feel I bring a different perspective because unlike most of the elected officials, I'm not wealthy. My husband is a nurse. Um, we, We know what it's like to struggle. We know what it's like to not have any money left in our checking account at the end of the month. And 
I think because of that, I fight harder than a lot of legislators when they talk about raising taxes. I remember um, a year ago, they wanted to raise the gasoline tax in order to pay for more road improvements. Uh -huh. Now everyone is in favor of better roads. I don't right. know anyone who is happy with mm -hmm. the condition of their roads. But the way that some legislators were just dismissing it, it's only three cents a gallon. Well, you know, someone like myself mm -hmm. who's driving a minivan because of the number of children I have, yeah. three cents a gallon adds up. And I live right in the border of West Virginia, next to Maryland and Virginia. And if I can save some money going across the border, I do. If I happen to be going in Maryland and Virginia, I will fill up my gas tank because it saves me money. Yeah. Now West Virginia has a higher t gasoline than the surrounding states and I was making these points in these committee meetings you know um, not everyone can just absorb these increased costs and a lot of legislators I think tend to act like it, it's nothing it's just a penny here and a few cents there but it adds up for families who are struggling I love that story because it just really puts in perspective it's not for you it's not an ideological argument or you're not doing it because that's it. oh it's it's the the party line or this is because we generally believe in low taxes but this ta this is just a little one and it's okay because it's for roads you are living it and breathing it and experiencing it and you're feeling the impact of the decisions that are being made um, so you're able to be a more effective advocate for people who are in your situation and I think it I think it exemplifies why it is so important um, that we have people like you, people who are moms, people who ha didn't, haven't come from means, uh, people who don't have any, you know, particular uh, fancy political science degree or, you know, whatever, whatever qualification I think many women might suppose that you should have running for office it's it, no we nope. we have plenty well believe me there's plenty of those people uh in elected office they have their titles they're good they're you know they're casting their votes but they're not a lot of times representing just the average citizen and if moms if young women moms in particular who are kind of living and breathing with the living under the under the decisions that are being made and forced down upon them if they're not part of the conversation then they don't ever get to provide that perspective That's um, exactly right and you probably your your experience and your testimony in those committees as an elected member probably was really moving and probably really impacts other people in the way that they're voting right your colleagues i'm sure said oh well she wow she's she really has a point well, I, they definitely know me to be very passionate, I will yep. tell you that. And there's only three female senators in the West Virginia legislature. Really? So in many of the committees Out of I'm how in, many? Out of 34. Three out of 34? Yes. Oh my gosh. And as you can imagine, in a lot of the committees I'm in, I am the only woman legislator. And so I do bring a different perspective than the men, and one that I think needs to be there. So yeah. I do think... I'm meant to be there, and I hope that I'm doing a good job representing and that viewpoint. Not that not that men aren't bringing an important perspective. No. Obviously, we we both talked about how uh, supportive our husbands were in our run in our runs for office, and how important they are to our families. And uh, but but the reality of the situation is uh, when you only have three women out of 34, there's a perspective that's missing there, or there's there's a perspective that's really underrepresented. That's exactly right. So so what what advice 
do you have for other women who might be um, just young single professionals who are frustrated with the state of whatever it is, with um, the decisions our city council is making or the rhetoric that they're hearing on the national news coverage each day or when they're scrolling in their social media, they feel very uh, discouraged and, and alone. Um, or, you know, the mom of five who wants to get involved but has limited time. What, what is kind of your advice to them um, about why it's important for them to get involved or how the, what's the best way for them to do it? Well, I will tell you that, first of all, do get involved. If you are frustrated with the way things are going, um, they take advantage of the fact that we're busy. I mean, they do. Uh, there's, it's no secret that most state legislatures, most local governments meet during the day or meet during the worst parts of the year when they know everyone's busy. So don't let them take advantage. Show up, get involved. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, running for office necessarily. You could just show up to some of the meetings and listen to what's going on to let your other fellow, you know, friends and community know, hey, this is what's happening in the local school board. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening in the county commission. Mm -hmm. They just voted for this. Um, you can join organizations that keep you abreast and then you just be the person who calls or emails saying, no, I don't support this. But then you could also get further involved. When I first started the Tea Party, you know, I was taking my five children with me. Yeah. But guess what? It was a great education for them. That's and true. all five of my children know how bills are made. They know how people get elected. They understand what is happening. Um, so don't feel like you can't come just because you have children. Because actually, um, never did anyone make me feel bad that my children were involved and were there with me. And I think it was a That's great good. experience for them. And if you do feel that calling because i do believe it is a calling to possibly run don't let fear get in the way i was terrified running against someone who was a lawyer mm -hmm. and here i had never done public speaking and i just thought i mean i could never do a good job but people can see that you mean what you say that you really care and I think that's more important than being a great speaker or being polished. And I have an accent. I'm not even Native American. But yet folks really, truly care more about what you're trying to do for them. And that's what they're looking for. And I, I've been told by others that I have given them hope. Because, you know, they know that I actually am doing what I said I was going to do. And I'm not just a politician trying to scratch my own back or scratch the backs of my friends I'm actually representing the average person yeah I think I think that's great advice and I think a lot of people underestimate the power you said uh, just be the person that writes the email or makes the phone call uh, a lot of times you know the people that you're hearing from are either kind of lobbyist or um, organi organize groups which is not a bad thing right organized groups can be very effective but but just the the random constituent who is calling you you care the the very most about what they have to say if it's someone who lives in your district um, and you right. feel like oh just read about this issue or heard about this issue and has an opinion opinion on it and they took the time to call your office or email your office and tell you what that opinion is, that one is going to rise to the top for you. It so does. It's actually really impactful. It is very impactful, and especially when it's your original, you know, words 
be it an email right. or be it a call. Not a form thing that you're just forwarding. Thing. Exactly. Right. I mean, there's a place for those things, yep. but I can tell you that we get tons of those. So when we get the the person who has written their own words um, or called us and it's a personal phone call, not just a robocall or something like that, we listen. Mm-hmm. You don't ignore that. And you know that if that person is calling you, expressing that viewpoint, they represent probably 30 people who are not calling you. Exactly. So your voice really does matter a lot. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point. I do think people can see when a candidate is just really genuine and really in it for the right, right reasons. I think that really shines through. Well, I certainly does in my case, and I'm grateful to have the honor of representing my constituents. Well, we're uh, it was such a fascinating story. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Right, right. Okay. So, how can uh, people find out more about you? I have a website. It's just my name, patriciarucker.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Patricia Rucker, State Senator. So, um, and both of those ways you can connect with me and keep up with what you're doing. Exactly. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at ellen at stepuppodcast.com. Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.